I want to begin by asking you to imagine that I'm an older man. That's not that hard to do. And I'm giving some counsel to my sons and my daughters. Would you imagine that my name is Solomon? And the content that I'm going to share comes right out of the book of Proverbs, chapters 4 through 9. And I recommend you read this section of Scripture for yourself. Listen, my children, to what I'm about to say. Pay attention and don't forsake my teaching because what God commands leads to life. Whatever you do, seek wisdom and then guard it when you get it. Don't turn away from what you know to be true like so many do in their teens and their 20s. You see, two paths lie ahead of you. One is the path of wisdom The other is the path of the wicked. Be attentive, my child, and avoid wrong choices. And the only way to do that is to keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart tender before God and choose faithfulness, not folly. Keep an eye on your soul. Because it's a slow fade. No one crumbles in a day. Your purity will be tempted because the allure of illicit sex is everywhere. And what may seem to be sweeter than honey will turn out to be more bitter than taking a bite out of rotten wood with worms in it. Set up your boundaries or you will end up giving your heart away and then your body will want to go all the way. Wait for marriage or you'll become ensnared and held fast by the cords of your sin. And if you get married, hold fast to your spouse. My son, do not lust in your heart after a young woman. My daughter, Don't get swept off your feet by empty promises meant to seduce you. Here's a vivid word picture to remember. Can you scoop up fire into your lap and not be burned? Can you walk on hot coals without scorching your feet? Well, so is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Let me tell you what I saw one time when I looked outside. I noticed a young man headed to where he should not have been going. In the dark of the night, a woman dressed provocatively came out to meet him. She grabbed him, gave him a kiss, and told him to come to her house for a hookup. She had a full refrigerator and an empty bed, promising the man her husband was gone on a long business trip. You know what he did? Well, Proverbs 7 says this, all at once he follows her as an ox going to the slaughter or as a stag caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know it will cost him his life. Listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Her house is the way of Sheol going down to the chambers of death. Now, children, you may think you can get away with it. 
that somehow to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is pleasant. But this path leads only to danger and even death. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Guard your heart, my children, because it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. We come today to commandment number seven. Stated in strong yet simple words, Exodus 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. This literally reads, no adulterating. Let me just make two quick observations. This command is directed to every individual. The tense is second person singular, meaning each one of us individually must take it to heart. Observation number two, it's stated in a very strong negative, like seven of the other commands. Adultery is an unconditional prohibition for everyone. In 1631, that's just 20 years after the King James was printed, the King James Version was reprinted by a London publisher. This expertly crafted edition was printed on fine paper stock from Sweden with high contrast ink from India, and it was bound with exceptional Italian leather. However, this beautiful Bible had an egregious printing error. It was discovered the simple word not was omitted in Exodus 20.14, making it read this way, Thou shalt commit adultery. The publishers were fined the equivalent of a lifetime's wages, stripped of their printing license. License, And nearly the entire print run was seized and destroyed. That Bible has become known as the Wicked Bible. There are only 14 copies known to exist today. One of those copies is in the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. But I don't know if they counted that right. I'm thinking there must be a lot more copies of that Bible circulating Because so many people today live as if adultery is acceptable. Now, I'm so glad we've come through a pandemic. But we're in the middle of another epidemic that has lasted thousands of years. And along with its variants is spreading rapidly. We could call it the adultery epidemic. Research indicates approximately 22% of husbands, 14% of wives have committed adultery. Some studies suggest one-third of husbands, one-fourth of wives have sinned in this way. According to a survey in Reader's Digest, which I hope is not true, 50% of all husbands, 35% of wives have broken their marriage vows. But here's what I discovered in looking at all these different studies. It's difficult to get accurate stats because people generally are not honest about their infidelity. And many teens, including Christian kids, throw their faith away just to have physical intimacy. 
Casual or recreational sex is celebrated and on the rise in our hookup culture. Apps like Tinder make immorality extremely accessible. Several years ago, there was a billboard in California advertising an internet dating site with these words, quote, life is short, have an affair. Ray Ortland writes this, God's Ten Commandments are big, bold, bright signs guiding us away from the regions of darkness and death and toward the places of light and life in Christ. The problem is, in our sins, we hate being told what to do. We think we know better. We look at temptations that cannot make our lives better, and we think, that would make my life better. The Ten Commandments point toward Sodom and Gomorrah and warn us, you don't want to go there. Yet we look over at that barren wasteland and think, this must be our Garden of Eden, and off we go. Now the pain and agony which comes from adultery has rocked many of you right here in this room or if you're gathering online. Perhaps you've had a parent or a relative let you down or your spouse has sinned against you in this way. Or maybe you're the one who's committed adultery and you're so gutted by guilt and shame you've lost all spiritual vitality. Some of you have been sexually abused. Several of you will feel so addicted to immorality you don't think there's any way out. And I pray that God will minister his healing and restore your hope through his word today. Now, let's review the summary statements we've been using to help us remember the Ten Commandments. If you know them, say them along with me. One God, no idols, revere his name, remember to rest, honor parents, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lying, and no coveting. Here's where we're headed. We're going to start by looking at the principle. Then we'll look at the prohibitions. We'll look at some prescriptions to help us keep the command. And then we'll end with the pathway back to purity. Three weeks ago, we studied the Sixth Commandment's prohibition against murder. And here's what we established, that since God has purposes for every person, all life, from conception to natural death, must be prized and protected. The standard behind the seventh commandment is that marital faithfulness is the building block of society. Faithfulness to the covenant of marriage is the foundation of the family. In his book called Holy Sexuality, Christopher Yuan writes this, holy sexuality consists of two paths, chastity in singleness and faithfulness in marriage. Here's the main point I want us to get today. Protect your marriage by practicing purity. Now, we live in a culture which dismisses marriage as this irrelevant relic of tradition. The spirit of our times has vigorously sought to dilute the sanctity of marriage through its condescending disregard, disrespect, and redefinition. 
But in Genesis, we read monogamous marriage is God's plan for a man and woman to be joined as one in a permanent relationship. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. By the way, Jesus quotes this, and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now to help me remember the essence of marriage, I think of three words, leaving, cleaving, and weaving. We could add a fourth word that summarizes what happens when adultery is committed, grieving. You see, marriage is designed to be a permanent bond. One man with one woman pledged in a public covenant commitment to live together faithfully as husband and wife for life. The Bible is filled with scriptures that hold up the value of monogamous marriage and the importance of keeping our vows. Let me just share one, Hebrews 13, 4. Let marriage be held in what? Honor among who? All. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. The keeping of the seventh commandment guards the integrity of every marriage and is a safeguard against sexual sin. And any sexual expression outside the confines of a marital relationship of one man and one woman is a sin against God. Kevin DeYoung writes this, God's best gifts, marriage and sex, are the ones most apt to be twisted and perverted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. God drew a defining line along around the sanctity of marriage, and he said something like this. Do not sexually take someone to yourself who does not belong to you through marriage. And once entering the covenant of marriage, do not give yourself to anyone other than to your spouse. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verse 38, Jesus looks out at the culture and he makes a statement. He kind of labels the culture that he was part of. This is what he said. This adulterous and sinful generation. I wonder what he would say about our society today. A few years ago, the Los Angeles Times reported about a new line of greeting cards for couples involved in adulterous affairs. The title of the article in the Los Angeles Times summarized how messed up we are. Here's the title of the article. Adulterers need cards too. 
Now, let's look at what this command prohibits. Let's start with adultery. Technically, adultery is a sexual relationship between a married individual with someone other than their spouse. The word adulterate means to make impure by adding extraneous, improper, or inferior ingredients. Two words come to mind, adultery, add and alter. When you add someone or something else to marriage, you alter it for ill. Adultery is a turning away from a promise made in the presence of witnesses and before a holy God. 2 Peter 2.14 gives a vivid description of this depravity. They have eyes full of of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. Or Deuteronomy 22.22 says adultery is a capital offense. It's egregious. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. Well, let's look next at sexual immorality. The heart of this command also applies to other sexual sins. Like fornication is any sexual expression outside the bonds of the marital relationship, including premarital sex. And friends, this needs to be taught in the church. Here's why. Because according to a new Pew Research study, this is even hard to get out of my mouth because I don't want to believe it, but I do believe it. Half of self-identified Christians in America say casual sex is sometimes or always acceptable. Now, from the biblical standpoint, all sex outside of marriage is sin against God and against your future marriage partner. Ephesians 5.3 says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Next, lust. Listen to what Jesus said about this command. Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. Jesus is quoting That's the seventh commandment. And he adds, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Let's look next at homosexuality. Now let me say it clearly. The practice of homosexuality is a sin. There's no way around that. For anyone who believes the scriptures. So let me just say this. During June, which has been declared Gay Pride Month, we should be horrified by the celebration of homosexuality in our society. Listen to the words found in Romans chapter 1. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 32, they not only do them, but give approval 
to those who practice them. Friends, you will swim against the cultural current if you hold to God's design for marriage and sexuality. And let me just say this. To be pro-family and pro-marriage does not make one an anti-gay bigot. As Christians, we must not equivocate. The Bible is clear in its definition of marriage. And we must not only define it biblically, but also defend it graciously. Because it's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. Protect your marriage by practicing purity. Now, as our culture continues to head south, and man, is it, it will become increasingly important for us as a church and as individual Christians to hold to biblical convictions. Are you with me there? Recently, I had a talk with some guests to Edgewood who wanted to know what our church believes about matters related to sexuality and gender. And so I thought it would be good for all of us to know where Edgewood stands. Number one, gender. Modern society tells us we can choose our gender, that gender is based on subjective feelings and it's fluid. Genesis 127 is clear that gender is established by God himself at conception. We read, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Listen, God's word, male and female, he created them. And after God finished his creation, Genesis 1.31 said this, he looked out over his creation and what did he say? He said, it is very good. Secondly, human sexuality. About 15 years ago, Pastor Brown and the pastoral team, along with the deacons, presented a revision to the Edgewood doctrinal statement, which passed unanimously by the congregation. This week, I contacted Pastor Brown, and I thanked him for being so out front on this. Here's what it says. The heading is human sexuality. We believe that God has commanded that no intimate sexual activity be engaged in outside of a marriage between a man and a woman, that all forms of homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexualism, bestiality, incest, fornication, and adultery are sinful perversions of God's gifts of sex, that the only legitimate marriage is the joining of one man and one woman. Number three, this needs to be said today. And some of you really need to hear it. All manner of sexual misconduct and abuse is abhorrent and evil. And to protect our children at Edgewood, everyone who works with children go through background checks and attend child protection training. But listen, some of you have been abused. You've not told anybody. Maybe you're presently in a situation. We have a group at Celebrate Recovery that can offer hope and healing. Listen to this insight from Jen Wilkin. Those committed to keeping the seventh word become 
their sister's keeper, working to end sex trafficking and rehabilitate those it has exploited. They advocate for victims of sexual abuse. They work to raise a generation of sons and daughters who understand pornography as lethal, not just to the individual or to marriages, but to the community. And they fight against messages and images that objectify women and men, and they embrace and model sexual fidelity. Let me give another one, the Edgewood Wedding Policy. Several years ago, thanks to the leadership of Pastor Tim, we put together an Edgewood wedding policy. Now, here's one section we added when we realized that cohabiting before marriage has become the norm for many Christians. Here's what it says. Sexual purity is important to God and affects the spiritual life. Having a sexual relationship is the privilege of marriage, Hebrews 13.4. A couple living together prior to marriage should change their living arrangements before seeking a Christian wedding and make a commitment to sexual purity. Now, the most recent national survey of family growth found that this is stunning. 43% of evangelical Protestants ages 15 to 22, so that would be high school and college, said they definitely or probably would cohabit in the future. That's almost half of evangelical Christians. This same survey discovered 45% of marriages resulting from first cohabitations had already dissolved. But for evangelicals who had never cohabited, 79% of those marriages were still intact. Listen, because we want couples who get married by an Edgewood pastor to protect their marriages by practicing purity, we ask each of them to sign a purity pledge. This is what, how it reads. I pledge to show my love and respect for my future spouse in ways that allow both of us to keep a clear conscience related to sexual purity before God the body of Christ, and each other. Friends, protect your marriage by practicing purity. So first, we must understand the principle and then take the prohibitions seriously and then make sure we're following God's prescriptions. If we don't put up boundaries, chances are high we'll break our vows. Uh, Turn to the last book in the Old Testament, easy to find, find Matthew and hang a left, I'm in Malachi chapter 2, reads this way, So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. He says it again, next verse, So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. The word guard means to hedge with thorns, or to protect by attending to. Incidentally, what I'm going to share applies to singles as well. Be faithful to your spouse before and after you marry. Now, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. So here then are some practical ways to keep your marriage government your marriage covenant. Number one, take responsibility to grow spiritually. You know your greatest challenge is not those around you 
No, it's what's going on inside of you. 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you're not in a weekday or weekend growth group or involved in intentional discipleship, would you join one this summer? Number two, stay committed no matter what. An older couple was discussing their upcoming 50th wedding anniversary. They were in the line at the grocery checkout uh, line when the young cashier overhearing this conversation said, I can't imagine being married to the same man for 50 years. (laughs) To which the wife wisely replied, Well, honey, don't get married until you can. (laughs) Good advice. Number three, set up some practical hedges. So here's a question. Do you love your marriage enough to protect it? One of the most helpful books I've ever read came out in 1990, written by Jerry Jenkins, title, Hedges, Loving Your Marriage Enough to Protect It. He states the greatest gift you can give to your spouse is to set up some boundaries with members of the opposite sex, which include but are not limited, not limited to no flirting, Don't be alone with the doors closed when you're with a member of the opposite sex. Be careful about how you touch. Number four, memorize scripture. This is huge. Psalm 119, 9 and 11. How can a young man keep himself pure? It's a great question. We're given an answer. By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Memorize God's word. Number five, watch what you watch. We learn something about Job's pursuit of purity. Job 31.1, in the midst of all of his suffering, he's concerned about his purity. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Now, if you don't have an internet filter, you need to get one. I use covenant eyes, which gets its name from this verse, and I'm in a group with four other men as we hold each other accountable in this way. Number six, avoid spiritual mismatches. I see a lot of Christians compromise their values and their morals when they settle for dating or marrying someone who's not a Christ follower. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. Number seven, recognize your weaknesses. Many face plant into sexual sin because of overconfidence. Listen to this warning, 1 Corinthians 10.12, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he what? Fall. And number eight, look for a way to escape temptation. Next verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except that it is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In his book called The Purity Principle, Randy Alcorn says, we keep pushing the boundaries And yet we pray for God to take the temptation away. We make small, incremental, immoral choices that inch us closer and closer to moral catastrophes. Purity, he writes, is always smart. Impurity is always stupid. Let me illustrate by just pushing this book to see how close I can get to the edge. Oh, I think I'm okay here. 
Boom. Some of us are playing on the edges. Number nine, magnify the consequences. Imagine the scenario of telling your spouse about your sexual sin. How will your daughter look at you from now on? What will you say to explain your immorality to your son? Proverbs 6 says, He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Satan never shows you the consequences, never the humiliation, only the thrill, the excitement. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go, for it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. Number 10, run, run, run from sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. That's what Joseph did, right? When Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, Listen to what he said in Genesis 39.9. He's all alone with this woman. He says this, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? We know he had boundaries. Listen to the next verse. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Now, he paid the price for his integrity, but he didn't sell out sexually. He stood firmly on the fidelity of marriage and he literally ran from temptation. On the other hand, David ran toward temptation. When he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he had stopped serving and sacrificing. He's at home just chilling out, doing nothing. When he glanced and then he gazed and then he gawked at a woman who was taking a bath. And his lust led him to adultery and then he tried to cover it up when he lied and committed murder by having her husband killed. This is what we read, 2 Samuel 11. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Write this down. Any step away from your spouse is a step toward adultery. Protect your marriage by practicing purity. Remember, it's a slow fade. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands. And so we've looked at the principle behind the command, the prohibitions, as well as some practical prescriptions. Now let's consider the pathway back to purity. You know, many of us wonder, and it's a great question to ask, God, what's your will for my life? God, what do you want me to do? God loves to hear his children ask questions like that. But here's a newsflash. God's will for you is wrapped up in your purity. To say it another way, your sanctification is linked to controlling your sexual impulses. Well, observe 1 Thessalonians 4. For this is the will of God. Okay, God, what do you want from me? Your sanctification, to grow spiritually, to be made holy. And then he defines it. That you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You've been watching the news out of Surfside, Florida. It's a c- catastrophe. It happened on Thursday when a condo building collapsed. 
leaving more than 150 missing as of early today. I don't know if that number's changed. And they're still studying the situation, but, but I saw a report last night that this building was constructed on reclaimed wetlands and had been sinking for decades. I wonder if some of you are sinking. You're playing at the edge. And right now, your fidelity is experiencing a slow fade. You're not burning as brightly for the Lord as you once did. You're starting to compromise. Or maybe you've already crossed the line. It's time to come clean. If you're involved in sexual sin, it's time to stop. If you're in an unrighteous relationship, it's time to repent. If you're flirting with it, it's time to flee. And if you're wayward, come back to the one who is the only way. Watch this video called Slow Fade.
Adultery is inherently secretive and dishonest because no one wants to trumpet that they're breaking a promise. Tim Challies writes, Adultery loves the darkness and flees the light, and for as long as it can, it tries to remain a secret. That alone should tell us what is at the heart of adultery. For sin loves to remain in the darkness while righteousness loves the light. God used a prophet to get David back on track spiritually, and perhaps this sermon has done something similar for you. I want to look at a few verses from Psalm 32, a song David wrote, to describe his pathway back to purity. Would you note first he confesses a threefold description of his sin. In the first two verses, he says transgression. That depicts a defiant disobedience toward God, a revolt against the Almighty. He uses the word sin, which means to miss the mark of God's perfection. He uses the word iniquity, which represents crookedness, deformity, perversion even. The images of a gnarled or twisted tree. David also uses a triad of words to express the fullness of his forgiveness. The word forgiven means to lift a heavy load and carry it away. The word covered refers to that which is concealed. What is offensive to God is put out of sight. The idea is our sins are so covered by Jesus, they'll never appear again. The third phrase, counts no iniquity, is rich in meaning. We get the words reckon or impute from this term. That's the same word used in Genesis 15, 6, when God reckoned righteousness to Abraham. God does not count our sins against us. In their place, he has imputed the righteousness of our Redeemer. Verse 3 describes what happens when we try to hide our sin. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away with groaning through my groaning all day long. David's reflecting on that period of time when he chose to keep quiet about his sins. When he tried to ignore his iniquities, he said his bones felt like they were decaying. That word groaning was used to describe the roar of a wounded animal or the roar of a bear. David tells us his groaning went on all day long or continuously without intermission. Question, have you been groaning, growling even on the inside? The secret you want most to conceal is the one you most need to reveal. Loved one, what have you been hiding? It's time to come clean tonight, right now. Repent. Verse 4 continues, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Even at night, David could not rest from the cries of his conscience and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That word heavy means to grievously afflict. God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to let us keep living the way we are. Hebrews 12.10 says he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Verse 5 gives us the solution to our sin. When David couldn't find relief, this is what he said. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, 
I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And notice what the Lord does. And you forgave the iniquity of my sins. Instead of concealing, David started confessing. He first acknowledged his sin. He stated the obvious. Then he stopped trying to cover it up. Incidentally, we can't expect God to cover what we're not willing to uncover before him. Would you note how he takes personal responsibility? He says, my sin, my iniquity, my transgressions. He doesn't deny, he doesn't minimize, he doesn't blame someone else. He doesn't argue about what the meaning of is, is. He simply calls his sin, sin. It's not an error, a mistake, a midlife crisis, or a lapse in judgment. It's not a fling or an affair. It's the abomination of adultery. The greatest holdout to the healing of my unholy hang-ups is me. So write this down, God wants to forgive you more than you even want to be forgiven. You don't have to bargain with him. You don't have to bribe him by promising to do a bunch of good things. You don't have to do penance for the bad things you've done. Let's go back to that building collapse in Florida. One young boy who was trapped in the rubble started calling for help, and there was a man out walking his dog about midnight. little boy raised his hand through the debris, started moving his hands, and he screamed for help. He was helped. Because he cried out for help. I wonder, are you ready to cry out for help? God will rescue you if you ask him to. Sexual sin can be forgiven. Think of what Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery. John 8, 11, neither do I condemn you. That's grace. But there's more. He also called her to a life of purity when he said, go. And from now on, sin no more. Truth, grace, and truth. Listen, you don't have to stay how you once were. 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, adulterers, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You're like, oh, that's so heavy. But listen, listen to these words. And such... Were some of you. You were that way. And then Jesus forgave you. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Guard your heart, my sons and my daughters, because it's a slow fade. Protect your marriage by practicing purity. God, now, uh, right here in this room and others at home or out somewhere engaging on their phones, Lord, I pray by your Spirit you would bring what has been concealed out into the open, that individuals would first confess to you and then to the spouse they've sinned against. Lord, that you would root out any evil in our hearts any longings, any plans that are not of you. Lord, I pray that you would grow us in holiness, that you would protect the marriages here at Edgewood and here in this community and around the globe. And Lord, for that individual who's in a battle right now, would you minister your grace and your mercy to the one who's been hurt and is still hurting. Lord, will you minister your comfort and your healing. 
Lord, we offer ourselves to you now. We want to be a people who obey you, who follow you faithfully. Use us now for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You're dismissed.